0: All right. Hey, Valley Creek. It is good to see you today. I want to take a moment and welcome in all of our campuses, whether you're joining us from Flower Mound Venue, Denton, Louisville, online, at an extension site, wherever you are in the world today, let's welcome each other together. It is so good to be with you. And it is good to be part of what's going on in the Valley Creek family right now. It's been a big year for Valley Creek. It's been a great year for Valley Creek. And part of what's happened this year is in 2019, it's a season of pioneering. So pioneers go into the unknown for the good of others and the glory of God. And in a season of pioneering, it's been a season where we've even started a brand new vision statement for our church. To be a movement of hope for the city and beyond. What that means is we got to actually go beyond, go beyond ourselves, go beyond our four walls to get into the lives of hurting and broken people. To bring them the love that Jesus brought to us. And as we've been preparing for, for and thinking about what it looks like to be a movement of hope, we got to think and we got to live differently. Part of what's in our hearts right now is to realize that part of thinking differently and living differently is realizing that a movement of hope is just a movement of compassion. We have to begin to see others with eyes of compassion. You see, a movement of hope is a movement for people. And people got some stuff. And I got some stuff. And you got some stuff. And we all got some stuff. And people are hurting. And people need compassion. You see, people need hope. And hope flows through compassion. So that's part of what I want to talk to you about today. Compassion is interesting, isn't it? Part of the reason I think compassion is so interesting is because judgment is so easy. It's so easy to judge people. Like, look at them. Look at what they're wearing. Look what their kids are doing. Look how bald that guy is. Like, look at him. You might even be judging me right now. Please don't need some compassion. So just let me ask you this question. If you looked in the world right now? Do you think that there is more compassion or more judgment in the world? <laughs> yeah, if you go online to a Facebook page or a comment section or you go anywhere on the internet, man, it is tough. The People are talking to you like, you would never say that to somebody out loud to their face. Like, no, no, you cannot say that. Your mama's going to wash your keyboard out with soap. Like, no, I don't like your politics. I don't like the way that you're raising your kids. I don't like that product. I don't like your face. I don't like your face. You go into a community cares page. You're like, I don't feel very cared for. There is a lot on the internet. The internet is ugly. U-G-L-Y. It ain't got no alibi. It's ugly. It's ugly. And I think part of what happens is that the internet and the ugliness there reflects some ugliness inside of here. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the fingers type. So what these engagements are actually showing us is there is a deep, hidden, consuming judgment in our hearts. There's judgment in our hearts. There's judgment in my heart. Jesus had this amazing ability to see people with eyes of compassion instead of eyes of judgment. And I've been asking him to show me how to do the very same thing. Let me just give you a definition here. So compassion is simply a movement in your heart towards someone's situation. When your heart moves towards their situation, your heart is moving in compassion. To hurt like they hurt, to see like they see, to want to bind where they are broken, that's compassion. You can think of compassion as simply passion in action. When your heart sees their situation and then you move, that's what compassion is. And Jesus was amazingly compassionate and he invites us to do the very same thing. So I want to kick things off by telling you a story from Luke chapter 7. It's a story that you may be familiar with. So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus has just been invited to a Pharisee's house to have dinner. The Pharisee's name is Simon. And Jesus was invited, but somebody else shows up who is uninvited, an uninvited house guest. There is a woman who comes, who everybody knows, and everybody knows who she is and what she's done. And she is an uninvited house guest, and all eyes are on her. Now, she had a feeling this was going to happen. But nothing was going to stop her from being in the presence of Jesus. She was going to break through every barrier. She was going to get there. She was going to be where Jesus was. So we pick it up in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Stop there for a second. That's an important description. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, not a sinful woman. When a woman who had been in a mess, not a messy woman. You see, the world wants to try to define you by what you had done and what you haven't done. But in Jesus, you're defined by who he says that you are. When she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Continue on. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And this is where Simon gets it wrong. This guy that knows everything about everything, he had missed the fact that she'd had an encounter with Jesus and she was a sinner, but everything had changed. See, what's so fascinating about this is that it says that Simon was thinking these things in his mind. He wasn't actually saying them out loud. He didn't have to say them out loud. Jesus goes on to tell Simon about these two parables. He says, okay, I'm going to just a parable about two different guys. He says, I'm going to tell you about some guys. One guy owed like a year's worth of wages to a debt, and one guy owed like a month's worth of wages. Now, if both of those guys would have had their debts erased, who would be more thankful? Simon goes on to think about it for a second. Uh, I mean, I I guess the guy that owed the larger amount. Then Jesus goes on to say, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? That's a fascinating question. Because Simon had literally been looking at her the whole time. But that's not what Jesus is asking. Do you see this woman? Do you see her like I see her? Do you have eyes of compassion for her and for her situation and what she's experienced? Do you see this woman? It's amazing. Both Simon and Jesus saw this woman, but they saw her with two very different sets of eyes. It's amazing sometimes that two people can see the same person, same situation, the same thing going on, but see it in two different ways. That's because judgment wants to look at what you've done and what you haven't done. But compassion sees you for who you are and who you can be. Judgment wants to look at you for what you've done. Oh, I know what you've done. What you haven't done, uh, you haven't measured up yet. But compassion sees you for who you are, beloved son, beloved daughter in Jesus, or who you can be as you continue to journey on this journey of following him. You ever seen one of those pictures where somebody's looking at a dress and they're like, oh yeah, that dress is like gold and white. And the other person looks at it like, no, no, that's like blue and black. You're standing there staring at the picture. You're like, wait, are we looking at the same picture? Like, no, that's clearly the color that I see that it is. Just in case you're wondering, it's white. Uh, And it's amazing (laughs) that we can see the same thing with, with two very different sets of eyes. When Jesus looks at this woman, he sees her with eyes of compassion, forgiven, worthy, a woman in a mess, not a messy woman. When Simon sees the woman, he looks at her with eyes of comparison, sinner, unworthy, no value, hopeless cause, eyes of judgment. Same woman, same situation, same location, two very different ways of seeing. Can I just ask you, what about you? How do you see people? Because you may not be at a dinner party with Jesus, but how do you see people when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're out at the ball fields? How do you see them? Maybe more specifically, what do you say about them? Or what do you not say about them? Because Simon never actually spoke the words out loud, but judgment was screaming in his heart. Judgment doesn't have to be spoken to be judgment in your heart in the car line, in the grocery store, at the soccer game. It's not just the judgment we speak. Think about the judgment. The judgment that screams in our heart creates an atmosphere, an aura in our life. And you know that because you can kind of tell when you want to lean in or when you want to lean away out of it. The atmosphere in your life is truly created by the realities of your heart. If the realities of your heart are the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, then that comes out into the atmosphere around you. Check this out in Proverbs four twenty-three. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So what's in here flows out of you to out there. Compassion can flow from it or judgment can flow from it. Can I just ask you, when people are hurting, do they lean into you or do they lean away from you? And what might that tell you? about what's being created in the atmosphere around you. You ever notice that? With some people kind of lean in a little bit and then like some people will lean away. Well, part of that is because the realities of their heart are creating the atmospheres in their life. So how do we begin to see people like Jesus did with eyes of compassion? Well, the first thing I want us to understand about this is this is our story. This is our story. When Jesus saw this woman, he didn't just see this woman, he saw us. He saw me. He saw you. When we were on the outside and when we were lost and hurting and broken, when we lived most of our life in a mess, that's when Jesus saw us. And his heart was moved to compassion for us. And he invites us to the very same thing. To see like Jesus saw, to have compassion like Jesus did. So here's three quick thoughts on seeing others with eyes of compassion. Here's the first one. You got to start by having compassion for yourself. As much as we judge other people, you know, what we do way more than that. We judge ourselves. You ever heard that phrase like, oh, you're being too hard on yourself. Oh, for the, you know, the test, you didn't get a good grade on the promotion you didn't get or the conversation you kind of flubbed and didn't say the right thing, you're just being too hard on yourself. What we don't even realize when we say that is that phrase has supernatural connotations. You see, Simon was too hard on this woman because ultimately he was too hard on himself. He was too hard on himself. Why? Because he lived his entire life judging himself by the law and all the ways that he didn't measure up to God. And so he judged everybody else that way. He couldn't even begin to imagine the full forgiveness of a loving God, so he couldn't even begin to have compassion on those around him. Simon knew the verse, love your neighbor as yourself, and that was actually the problem. Why? Because Simon didn't love himself. So he had no way to love his neighbor. He hadn't actually received the love of the father, so he had nothing to give other people. He felt like he was never enough. He spent so much time trying to perfectly keep the Sabbath and, and, and pay his tithes and offerings and look a certain way out in public. And he really believed that that's how he could earn the love of his father. And it was killing him. And he was never enough. And so because he felt like he was never enough, he tried to take his time to put other people down, either with his words or in his heart and in his minds. What Simon really needed to focus on was actually 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And this is really it. We can love others with the love we've received from the Father. We love others with the love that we pull down from the Father in heaven. Shame and religion and judgment was eating him alive. Why? Well, because Simon was almost always eating from the wrong tree. You see, as people, we often eat from the wrong tree. But what does that mean? What am I saying? Well, in the reading plan recently, I've been reading out of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 5, it was the first five days of this month. And so I encourage you, if you haven't started reading on our Valley Creek reading plan, jump in with us, man. There's revelation for us. There's things we're reading together as a family. There's things that the Lord wants to show us. So you can jump in the reading plan anytime. But check this out in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's two trees there. The tree of life is the tree of grace and the tree of compassion and vision and hope and freedom. It is the tree of Jesus. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of death, judgment, enslavement, comparison. That's the tree of religion. And God said, don't eat from that tree. Because I don't want you to be exposed to that reality. You were never meant to carry the weight of judgment. The human heart was never meant to carry the weight of judgment. And then what happens? Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they become enslaved. They started hating and hoarding and hiding. Instead of being focused on the glory of God, they became focused on the brokenness of themselves and the brokenness of other people. They started looking at life. Through a different lens. Through a lens of right and wrong and good and bad and can and can't and do and don't. The tree of judgment in that moment stole the tree of compassion. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of judgment. And you were never meant to carry that. We were never meant to carry that weight. Now here's what you have to catch. Misery loves company and shame Loves judgment, because here's what happens next. God comes up to him. He's like, Adam, uh, what's going on? What did you do? And he's like, uh, the woman you put here with me, that, you look over, she's the one that did it. And, and Eve, what's, what's going on? What, what happened? Oh, the serpent uh, deceived me, and that's what happens. And so they were so ashamed, they started judging each other. And we do the very same thing. Look at them. Look at their kids. Look at those decisions they're making. Look at their life. The people who are the most judgmental towards everyone else are usually the ones that are most judgmental towards themselves. And this is a horrible cycle. And this is my life. I find myself in the cycle all the time. I will feel a sense of shame about something. And I'll be like, oh yeah, but it's better than those guys. Like, I mean, it's a lot better than what they did. And then it'll cause more shame inside of me. In fact, check out this cycle. Here's what happens to us with a shame, judgment, shame cycle. We feel shame inside of ourselves and we judge ourselves harshly. We actually think we're far more worse than than, than what God says that we are. so we judge ourselves and it, it cycles inside of our heart. And because of that, we want to try to pass that judgment off to other people. So we feel more shame and we shame them. And then they feel shame and then they start to see themselves like that. So judgment rises in their hearts and they shame someone else. And the cycle continues on and on, but there's actually a reverse of the cycle also, which is compassion, transformation, and compassion. If we have compassion on ourselves, then we start to live in that transformative life where we say like, Jesus has transformed me. He's changing me. He's moving in my life. And then we begin to have more compassion on ourselves and our situation. We begin to see the world that way. They experience our compassion. They feel transformative. They feel transformation happening to them. And then they have more compassion. And on and on and so on and so on. So think about it. Adam was so full of shame that he couldn't even give compassion to the one person he loved more than anyone, Eve. Eve. Because shame was swirling in his heart. It was just swirling around in there. So he had nothing to give her. The only thing he could do is give judgment. Can I ask you, what's swirling in your heart? Is it grace? Is it compassion? Is it hope? Or is it judgment and shame and comparison? And if so, what does that tell you about what you actually believe? Hear me. Jesus was judged, so you will never have to be. Jesus was judged so that you'll never have to be. One of the most beautiful parts of this whole story is something we might have missed in the passage. Look at this in Luke chapter 7. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. See if you can catch this. In the room, shame and judgment and and the scorning eyes of Simon were on this side. The woman... And the life that Jesus had for her and everything he hoped for was on this side. And guess who's standing right in the middle? Jesus, blocking her from the judgment that was coming against her. And that's a prophetic picture of what's true for us. On this side of the cross, all the shame and our judgment and our pain and death and sin is over here. And God's dream for our life and what he wants for us and his hope for us is over here. And guess who's standing right in the middle? Jesus, at the cross, taking on our judgment. Being judged so that we'll never have to be, redeeming us, restoring us, making us whole, having compassion on us. His passion on the cross leads us to have compassion for ourselves. So what's that thing that you judge yourself for? You know, like that one thing, the secret thing, the thing that cycles through your mind over and over. I can't, I won't, I'll never be. What's that one? Because if Jesus has compassion on you, just a question you have to ask yourself is why can't you have compassion on you? Receive Jesus' compassion for yourself. He literally stood in the gap. Between judgment, between the life that he called us to, he stood there in the gap. This is what Ephesians 4 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, this is really it, isn't it? You've been fully forgiven, so you can receive that for yourself in your own life. Now, you can begin to give it to others. Out of 2 Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God's name is literally called the Father of compassion. You know what that means? We're his children. So we're the sons of compassion. We're the daughters of compassion. His identity is our identity. So now because that's who we are, it's what we can do. We must have compassion in ourselves first. We must look at ourselves through the loving lens of God in order to ever have a possibility of looking at others that way. It's virtually impossible to view other people if you have not first viewed yourself in this way. This is why the, the greatest commandment is so important in John chapter 13. Check this out. Love one another as I have loved you. That is the greatest commandment. You want to be able to love your neighbor, you want to be able to love your family, you want to be able to love your coworkers, you must love one another as God has loved you. Start looking at the way he loves you, then you're going to have love to give them. Start looking at the way he has compassion on you, then you're going to have an ability to give compassion to them. Every day you can look at yourself and you can just even say this out loud, all right. I am not where I I was, but I'm not gonna be there anymore. I'm I'm, I'm not where I yet wanna be, but I'm not where I was. I have a life in front of me full of new life and hope in Jesus. I'm a new creation, living a new lifestyle, full of new hope in Christ. I am not ashamed. I got nothing to hide. I'm fully known and I'm fully loved with no fear of rejection. And Jesus is compassionate to me. You can speak those things over your life so you begin to believe them. Hear me, you must see yourself through the finished work of Jesus so you can see yourself with the loving eyes for other people. you got to see yourself through his loving lens to you so you'll have a loving lens to see others with. So can I just ask you a question? When was the last time that you truly gave compassion to yourself? Giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. Seeing yourself as a good work in progress, changing, moving, becoming all that God calls you to be. Not judging, not judging your mistakes and your failures, seeing yourself through the lens of Jesus. You must see yourself with eyes of compassion. That's the first thing. Here's the next one you gotta see life through their eyes. We all know that phrase, man, you can't judge somebody's journey till you walked a mile in their shoes. Jesus knows this phrase because he always walked a mile in our shoes. The Bible says that Jesus is a great high priest, that he sees us, he's familiar with our sufferings, and that he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, and he's been tempted in every way that's common to us. He was always able to see life through our eyes. Because of that, he was able to see us with compassion. That's why in Matthew 9, when he's surrounded with these crowds, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He'd walked a mile in their shoes and he'd be able to see like they did, which is amazing because I don't know about you, I don't like giant crowds. Like, I often think to myself, I feel like Disneyland should pay me to go there, <laughs> but not Jesus. He's surrounded with people. And just think about who he's surrounded by. Lepers and people with diseases and people that are arguing with him. People that are hungry. Like, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, bro, you got leprosy. Like, you got you to step back, man. Like, you don't, don't be leaking your sores on me. You know, I don't, just, just sit. I know you're hungry. I can hear your stomach growling. Just go find some food somewhere. But that's not what he does. He sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he invites us to see the very same way. Valley Creek, we are hope carriers. So what that means... Is that God is going to place people in your life who are harassed and helpless. And they need to be led and loved. They need to be seen with eyes of compassion. You see, Jesus saw life with eyes of compassion all through the scriptures. Almost every story you see, he had a different way of looking at it. Like to the woman who was caught in adultery. Everybody else saw an adulteress. You know what I think Jesus saw? I think he saw a woman who grew up without a father who was so weighed down by her decisions that she was always looking for love in the wrong places, trying to fill a void that was inside of her. And Jesus sees her and he has compassion upon her. To the little children that would come up to Jesus when everybody else saw dirty and annoying little children. You know what I think that Jesus saw? He sees desperate orphans that are looking for any kind of attention from any adult that will look their way and he sees them with eyes of compassion to the man born blind. I don't think Jesus just saw a blind man. I think he saw a kid that struggled because he couldn't play with other kids when he was growing up. By the time he got to an adult, he had to make being a beggar his main source of employment. He saw a man that looked at his blindness and saw that his brokenness in his body because he was a sinner. And I think Jesus saw him with compassion. And even Simon the Pharisee. We look at the passage. We see judgmentalism, we see a religious spirit. You know what I think Jesus saw? I think he sees a man who grew up with a dad that said stuff like, you're nothing. You're not gonna ever be anything. And that's stuck inside of his self-worth so much so that he actually made a decision to get into a profession where he could go and try to earn the love of a heavenly father to make up for the fact that he never had the love from his earthly father. And Jesus sees him with compassion. And his heart went out to him and he just saw a guy that needed some grace. And how about you? Well, the whole world may see your insecurities and your bad decisions and that broken relationship, you know what Jesus sees? He sees all your pain. He sees all that rejection. He sees all those years of hurts and the betrayals. And he has compassion on you He really sees you. He didn't look past you. He didn't look through you. He sees you. Psalm 145 says this. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he's made. He made you. He's good to you. He made them. And he's good to them. And he sees with eyes of compassion. He sees what's happened to you. He sees what's been said about you it breaks his heart. Honest moment for me. I literally struggle with this all the time. The main way that I struggle with judgmentalism is that I am judgmental towards people that are religiously judgmental. <laughs> Just think about this for a second. Think about what that means. As even if I say that out loud, you're like, yeah, because you should judge them. Yeah, but no, because that's brokenness inside of me. And so when I do I'm revealing brokenness. I'm revealing there's something wrong inside the equation. So spouses, I encourage you, next time you're in that fight, will you just take an extra moment and ask the question, why are they responding this way? Because there's probably something to that. There's probably something on the inside that's leading them to respond the way that they are. Parents, before you react or you enact punishment on your kids, just ask the question, why are they acting this way? Because you cannot punish immaturity out of your child, but you can see them with eyes of compassion and let the Lord lead you in your parenting. Students before you gossip about that student that always makes the bad decision, that keeps on doing it wrong every time. Ask yourself, why do they seek attention in this way? Knowing that bad behavior is usually a result of deep pain inside of them. So they're responding from that. Let me ask you something crazy. What if every person in your life did exactly what you wanted them to do when you judge them, okay? So let me just set this up. What if the guy that is a horrible driver that nearly runs you off the road in the construction zone, what if that guy stopped his car and just talked to you for a second and said, hey man, I just want you to know I'm really sorry because that was like some really poor driving on my part. You're like, yes, yes it was, yes it was. And then he goes on to say, man, I just lost my job yesterday. And uh, my dad is in the hospital. And so I was actually racing there. And they don't even know if he's going to make it. And then suddenly, you're not mad at the guy. You're like, I want to give you a police escort. I'm not even a police officer. You want to go to his hospital room and pray for his dad. What if that mom, whose kids are acting in temper tantrums and eating candy before they bought it and just screaming, what if that mom in the grocery store checkout line, Stopped and said, hey, everybody, I just want to recognize this is some really bad parenting on my side because I'm like haven't parented at all. And you know what? I'll go ahead and take any feedback you have uh, about my parenting right now. I'd love <laughs> to have that. We want it, don't we? We want it so bad. We want that to happen so bad. But then says, you know, my husband, um, he left me like three years ago. And uh, I've been struggling to pay the bills. And I'm just so overwhelmed all the time. And then suddenly you don't want that mom to leave the grocery store. You want to pay for her groceries. So you got to understand people are suffering. The human race is suffering the effect of brokenness and sin and selfishness and addiction and narcissism, man, it has torn us up and by itself, that would be enough for us to want to see with eyes of compassion. Why? Because it's all of us because none of us is immune. You know, that bad driver, sometimes that's me. So be nice to me. When I want to go buy you. Sometimes that's you. You know that parent at the checkout line? Sometimes that's you. Sometimes that's us. That sin issue, that selfishness, that addiction, sometimes that's all of us. And Jesus sees us and He sees life through our eyes and He has compassion for us. I talked to a nurse recently who works with, with children with profound visual impairment. And part of what they do is they'll, they'll invite parents in whose kids have visual impairment issues. And she says what they'll do is they'll take glasses that will distort reality that will allow the parents to see like their kid sees. And she goes, sometimes the parents will put those glasses on and they'll just begin to weep and they'll just begin to cry. And they'll be, they'll say things like I had no idea. And then suddenly instead of getting frustrated with the kids bumping into stuff and falling over all the time, they'll say, I had no idea that it was like that. You see, judgmentalism distorts our reality, but compassion allows us to see more clearly everybody's situation and what's been done to them, what's happening in their life. What if our frustration shifted? What if our judgment started to shift? I had no idea, but based on what's going on, something's going on. I have no idea what it is, but I want to have compassion in my heart. I had no idea they were facing that medical problem. I had no idea they were under that pressure at work. I had no idea that they were feeling so lonely. What if we committed to try to see life through their eyes? Can you imagine how different the story would have been if Simon would have looked at the woman and just said, man, I don't even know. I don't know what got you here. I don't know what brought you here, but I'm going to have compassion in my heart. It would have been a completely different story. So those are the first ones. We've got to see ourselves with eyes of compassion. We've got to see others with eyes of compassion. Here's the final one. We've got to be moved to action. In order to be a movement of hope, we must actually move. You have to actually move because compassion is passion in action. In Luke 15, there's a great story called the prodigal son. In reality, the story should be called the story, the loving father. But here's what happens in the story. The son decides that he's going to go ahead and just take his half of the inheritance. Say, Dad, here's the deal. I want my money, which is basically saying, I wish you were dead. Son goes off, spends it in wild living, makes all kinds of bad decisions, finds himself hungry and wishing he could get a square meal. And so he goes back to the very last place that he'd received hope and compassion. He goes back home. And as he starts to limp back home, here's what Luke 15 says. While he was still a long way off, His father saw him, really saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now catch it. The father didn't just see some smelly kid who was strung out and hung over. He saw his son and it moved him to compassion. And he ran and he hugged and he kissed. True compassion should move you to see with eyes of compassion, to think thoughts of compassion, to act with hands of compassion. Often people will say something like this, why don't people do something about that? It's a good question. That's an important question. Why don't we do something about it? You see, the church is the people of God, united by the spirit of God, under the lordship of Jesus sent to bring hope to the world. We are the people. We are the people that are moved to action. We are the people that are full of compassion. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we build campuses. That's why we, can, we know we're hope carriers in every area of our lives. That means when somebody's mourning, you can provide the meal train. When somebody needs to talk, you can have that conversation face to face. When somebody's hurting, you can be moved to hear why they're hurting. Not giving pat answers for deep hurts. You can be moved to compassion. Let your compassion truly become passion and action inside of you. Hear me? It's not enough just to be concerned. We have to actually act in compassion. Concern is not the same as compassion. Concern, oh, somebody should do something about this. Compassion, I'm the person. So I will. To be a movement of hope, we must be moved to action. So let me finish with this. One of the most interesting things about the story is something that we often miss. We know that Simon had judgment in his heart and we know that Jesus saw her with compassion, right? But you know who else had compassion? The woman. The woman had compassion because at the very same moment that she was being judged by Simon, she was filling his home with a beautiful fragrance of her perfume and the grace in her heart and the worship of her Savior. She was filling his home even as he was judging her hearts. She was giving him compassion even as he was throwing judgment her way. The atmosphere of your life is truly created by the realities of your heart. In that moment, the whole atmosphere was changed by the love and the joy and the peace and the worship that was pouring out of her. That's because what's in here affects what's out there. You see, that's how it works. When you've been loved by Jesus you love like Jesus. When you've experienced the passion of Jesus for you, you can't help but be filled with compassion for them. Compassion is simply a movement in your heart towards someone's situation. So ultimately, Jesus was God's compassion for us. He wasn't just concerned, oh, somebody should do something about that. He was filled with compassion. I will. I'll send my one and only son to take care of what could not have been taken care of by anybody else. Jesus's heart was moved for compassion. Jesus is God's compassion for us. And we carry the same heart. A movement of hope begins with movement in our hearts. Start by having compassion on yourself, then see others with eyes of compassion, then be moved to action. May we always be a movement of hope for the city and beyond. May we go beyond our four walls, May we see a world that is hurting and a desperate need for compassion. And then may we put that compassion into action. May we move. Will you pray with me right now? So Lord Jesus, I pray that even now we can begin to see ourselves as you see us with eyes full of love and compassion. I pray that everybody in this room can receive a greater commandment that you have loved us so much that now we can receive that love and there is love to give our neighbor and our families and our co-workers and everybody else that we interact with. Lord, may we be a church that's so compassionate that people can't help but take notice. There's a church that sees people for who they can be, not for what they've done. There's a church that values them for their true identity, not just for what they act like or what their behaviors are. There's a church that sees and then does something about it. We move in action. Thank you, Jesus. You moved for us. You didn't just have concern. You were filled with compassion. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.